Welcome to the Disrupt Now podcast, episode number 14. The Disrupt Now podcast, created by Natalie Viglione, entrepreneur and founder of Team Goo. It's designed to help people break down the walls around them, construct the ultimate vision of their lives, and provides the tools, tips, and techniques to disrupt their status quo. We shine a light on the good, the bad, and the ugly to help build the roadmap to your dreams. We talk with today's most effective disruptors in every area from art and design to technology and finance and even health and well-being. Our guests bring topics to light that help others to shake themselves free and can give them a whole new outlook on life. Welcome to the Disrupt Now podcast. We have a wonderful guest today named Steve Gruber. He's the Director of Communications for the Mayor's Alliance for NYC's Animals. Now, if anyone knows me personally and people on my team, everyone knows that not only do we have, you know, and love animals, but, you know, my husband and I, we have four in our home. So um, all of them have been adopted and it just goes back and Oh, it's just such a, a topic that's close and near and dear to our hearts. Now, Steve has been the director of communication for the Mayor's Alliance for NYC's Animals for nearly 12 years now. He manages the organization's communications activities, including advertising, PR, internal communications, and publications. Steve has worked in the marketing communications field for most of his career and has volunteered or worked for several animal protection organizations in the past. Steve, welcome to the Disrupt Now podcast, and thank you for being a guest with us today. Well, thank you, Natalie. I'm happy to be here. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the again, as I mentioned before, animals just strike such a chord in my heart, and animal welfare is just so is so important. And so I love that your journey brought you to work with this organization and, you know, we'll learn more about your your path to get there. But, um, you know, for 12 years, you've been able to serve the needs of animals. And um, NYC obviously has, you know, quite a, a um, robust number of animals that get taken to shelters. I mean, just the sheer number of people, right, <laughs> kind of empowers that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so um, let's talk a little bit about um, about the organization. I- I'm not sure, you know, I actually wasn't familiar with the organization until, you know, Paulina and uh, producer and amazing woman on my team came and said, oh my gosh, we need to have him on the podcast. And, and so we were able to learn more you know, about you. So I would love to hear more about exactly what the organization does and, um, you know, how it's kind of evolved since you've been there. Okay. Well, um, you know, a lot of New Yorkers um, were sl- kind of slow to learn of the Mayor's Alliance. And part of that, I think, is because the Mayor's Alliance 
has worked, much of our work has been in the background. Um, you know, our, our mission is to, to reduce euthanasia at the city shelters. Um, and m much of our work has been to support the efforts of the shelters. Um, you know, animal care centers, of course, being the, the largest um, organization that we that we, we are, were focused on because as an open admission shelter, their their intakes were so uh, large. Yeah. Um, so uh, the the programs that we have started at the very beginning um, and are still still vibrant um, were very much to support those efforts. Um, and I think to understand the Mayor's Alliance, it's it's an umbrella organization of a, approximately 150 uh, shelters and rescue groups in the greater New York area, and. All of the groups are working to save lives. You know that's that's our common mission. Um, when the when the alliance was formed um, about 13, 14 years ago, um, there was no really cohesive effort. You had a lot of groups doing good work, but they weren't necessarily talking to each other. They weren't working together, and the the. Uh, the purpose of the alliance, one of the, I think, the most significant things that we did was to pull everyone under one umbrella. That doesn't mean that we, that the, the alliance was directing their operations. It simply meant it pulled them together to create kind of an ecosystem of rescue in New York so that people were talking to each other, they were communicating with each other, and um, as a result, far more lives could be saved, um, you know, working working together, uh, whether it's uh, pulling animals out of, out of the city shelter to be uh, transferred to rescue groups and shelters that really had the ability to take the time with them and uh, get them ready for adoption and find them homes. I mean, I think that was, that was huge. And it's a, it's a model that you know, is rec replicable um, in any community. You know, it, it takes uh, beginning to work together. Right, which which is usually the hardest part. Um, I know I actually volunteered with the ACC years ago for quite a while, and you know it was very very difficult um, for you know I. <laughs> It's just you want it's like you just want to open an animal sanctuary and just have them all go into one big field and everyone be happy. But, you know, it's it's a it's a much larger effort. And like you said, you know, it's it's people coming together, people like you um, and people, you know, like me who really want to have an impact on um I guess I guess it's also kind of changing that perception around homeless animals and um, animals to for adoption. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that changing perceptions is one of the things, and I think we've seen it very very much over the last decade, uh, not only in New York but nationally and probably internationally. Um, people's uh, the the public's awareness of the plight of of homeless animals, just the numbers of animals that end up in in shelters and in rescue, um, the reasons why they end up there. You know, the, I think the perception uh, years ago, and some people still hold to this, but I, I think far fewer. Um, you know, when people looked at shelter animals, they thought that, that, some, that they were there because they were damaged. There was something wrong with them, and that's why they ended up in the shelter. They weren't good good enough to be in, in someone's home. You know, and the fact of the matter is, um, animals end up in shelters because of 
issues with their people, you know, whether it's uh, economic, whether it's the, um, you know, family issues, um, people's attitudes, um, you know, how they, how they treat their animals. Um, and, and also, you know, people's willingness to accept the fact that when you adopt, it's a lifetime commitment. And I think more people today recognize that, you know, animals aren't, our pets aren't disposable. Um, and, and I think if you ask any pet owner today, 99% um, of them would, would uh, vouch for that. You know, they're, not, they're a part of the family. And Absolutely. That, that change in perception has been dramatic. And it's also, um, it's helped us, meaning all of the, 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 the people doing rescue, to do their, their jobs better. Uh, because we're, we're reaching out to a lar larger audience and, and we're educating them. We're trying, you know, showing them that, that these animals are, um, are wonderful animals. You know, and anyone who, most anyone who has ever adopted, you know, would, would say that. This, this, uh, their pet is a blessing. You know, there's nothing wrong. And certainly some animals have issues and some don't. Um, but, well, everyone has issues, <laughs> people, animals, whatever. Uh, but it's a matter of understanding that and, and working with them. You know, if a child is, you know, born into a home and, you know, grows up, starts to grow up, you know, they're going to have issues. And parents, you know, responsible parents are going to work with those issues. And, and, um, and I don't want to focus too much on the issues, but... Because that, I think, was so much the perception for so long that that these animals were um, that something was wrong with them, and they really weren't fixable. And um, it's amazing what a little love and care can do to fix a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah, I, no, that is one hundred percent truth. A big ethos wrapped into disrupt now, and we've talked about this a little bit in other uh, episodes about you know, love and how that can really move everyone forward. I mean, it, it stays the same for animals. I mean, I, I think that even, you know, and there's a lot of people that feel the way I do as well, you know, they become part of your family. And I mean, it's, I've, I've been rescued by rescues. I mean, the, the love that it brings into your existence, um, cats, dogs, whatever it may be, is just, it's, uh, it's undescribable. And it's, amazing and so you know knowing there's advocates that work at a higher level to bring this together is wonderful it's it is education and i you know i just i adore the ethos behind uh the mayor's alliance for nyc's animals so a you know a big thank you for all the work because it is i'm sure at times very difficult and again i feel, i know we probably share that Let's save all the animals, <laughs> but you know, uh, it's not always not always easy <laughs> to do. Well, it's not, but I, I think one of the things that that is a, is a um, really motivator for a lot of people in rescue is that we know we're not doing this alone. You know, no, no, right. no one is an island. You know, it takes a village. All of that. Um, there are so many people who are just so dedicated to doing this work, and even though their methods and and um, uh, uh, goals might be a little bit, you know, different. Not everyone works the same way. The fact is, people you know the people who do this they want to save lives yes yes exactly and, and you know i think this really does have something to do with disrupting that status quo which again going back to our ethos a little um 
you know, I think that I guess the big thing wrapped around that is it's not accepting that it just has to be the way it is. And, you know, how do you feel about that? And, and you know, what kind of made you go into this direction? Because I'm sure, you know, it, it matched all of your your background and it's amazing that you know you again you got to bring that love for animals and you know your marketing experience together all in one place <laughs> that's great i feel very fortunate that i could do that i mean i i that's one of the the things about doing this work and also doing this work at this stage of my life you know i had uh um, you know, my early career was all around, you know, it was business oriented. And, um, you know, that's where I, you know, uh, developed skills and, and, you know, whatever I could do, I was devoting to that. And, um, you know, at the point later in my life, in my career, um, I really became more aware of my, not my interest in animals, but I became aware of the fact that I, perhaps have something that I can bring to the table to actually make a difference in this field. Um, and I, you know, I started out walking dogs in a, in a wonderful shelter out on Long Island. And um, you know, that was my first real time to do it. I, of course, adopted my, my first dog, and not my first dog as an adult, but for the first time that I was really um, focused on on rescue, mm-hmm. and that just opened. You know, it it began a series of uh, of events that um, I'm very grateful enabled me to become more and more involved, and um, it be and f- feel like I was really contributing to to doing something. And also, I mean, a big part of that I talk about working with other people. Um, you know, the the people I've worked with have been wonderful role models. Um, well, many of them have been wonderful role models and, um, um, and motivators. And mm-hmm. that, that encouragement, I think, was, is really important. You know, when, when someone goes into something new, to not only to feel like they're, that it's important to them and that they maybe can have an impact, but to get that encouragement from other people and to see others around them who are doing the same things. Yes. Yeah, the support mechanism is is huge. And, you know, I also walked animals at the ACC here in in Manhattan. So it was uh, and it just, you know, the my heart just reached out to all those animals. And I was just kind of thinking, you know, something that you said in our our little, um, you know, questionnaire and, and, and thinking about this this episode a little bit is really beautiful. And I, I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Um, how you know sometimes you fall into that trap of accepting change you know and how gradual it must be and you know to make it last and and then you said that you shake yourself and kind of just say wait a minute you know what it can be bold and brash and it can be right now and it can actually lead to the future um how, how do you i would love to hear more about that because i think it's a beautiful statement well i, I think that that comes from a place where I, I see myself as very much a background person, um, a, a support person. Um, you know, not, I'm not the, generally the person up there on the stage, you know, uh, shouting out and, and trying to rally the forces. It's more, it, it's been more background work. And I, what I just discovered in this work is that, you know, on a day-to-day basis even, or if, even if you look uh, more long-term, um, 
that there's that you're faced with situations that you could say like all right well let's look at that let's figure out how to how to work that out and and many times that's appropriate but I became aware of there's so many times when in the moment you're faced with something whether it's a person you're talking to who's challenging uh, something you believe or uh, you know some someone who believes differently than than I do and rather than just kind of rolling over for that and like accepting well that's an opinion that, that it's an opportunity to m maybe change a mind maybe to mm -hmm. ed to educate someone to to open their world a little bit so they could look at it a little differently um, an example would be and it can be a kind of touchy example I think because um, it 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 it's, it's, it sounds like it might sound like I'm uh, you know coming down on people who who breed dogs, and you know many people I've met throughout my life, and in fact earlier in my life I I my first adult dogs as an adult I got from a, a friend who was a breeder, mm -hmm. and, um, and and many breeders are responsible and wonderful, and many of them are also heavily involved in rescue for their breed. And, and and I applaud that, uh, you, uh, but um, you know, talking to so, to someone, a very common thing someone would say is, "Well, I you know, I don't want to adopt. I really want to get from a breeder because I want to know what I'm going to get." Yes, and I hear that all the time. It's it's out there, and it it surprises me in a way because in in my world anyway, it's so um, it, it's it seems to seems to be so accepted that that's not the case. You know, uh, many. People who buy, particularly from pet stores, where you don't know who the breeder was, um, you don't know the background of the animal, and many of these animals that come out of pet stores are, um, you know, they, they have health problems, they have temperament problems. Their their early days were not good, and so that cute little puppy in the window looks really cute, but can carry a host of problems that the the uh, person who buys them then discovers when they get home and it's like, wow, so they didn't know what they were getting. Um, right. And, you know, in, in terms of the shelter, sometimes you, there are, there are always surprises. Some of them are, are beautiful surprises. And then there's some that are, you know, challenging. Um, but with, when you're working with shelters and rescues, they know their animals, you know, they've taken, they've rescued them, they've gotten to know them and they work really hard to, um, uh, adopt to a, to an appropriate household so in fact you're in my book you're better off adopting from you know a, a rescue that that knows the animal they know their temperament they know their health issues and they can advise you and uh, help you to select a, a, a path that's going to be appropriate for you and also you know give you information that can help you probably you know manage some of the things that might might crop up later Right. Uh, yeah. And I mean, there's always and there's, you know, it's just I always think about how this all relates at a, a much higher level. It's the same if we think about adoption of, of children, too. I, I mean, you know, it's 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 like a lot of these animals, you know, like you mentioned, are put into certain predicaments where, you know, maybe their their caregiver becomes really ill. Um, and can't, tr you know, can't take care of the animals anymore. So they come from loving homes, you know, or some are found, you know, in horrible situations. And so at the end of the day, 
you know, as as you are adopting, you like for, for our we adopted two dogs at the same time from the SPCA, and the two at the same time didn't <laughs> we didn't really mean to do it. <laughs> um, it's just that we saw them together, and you know, my my dog, our dog that I had had her for about nine years, and talk about saving my life. Oh my God, that dog! Um, I still can't even talk about her without like totally, you know, bawling for at least ten minutes, and then I'm like, okay, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Um, but you know the the two that we have now, they're brothers, and they've lived their whole life in a shelter. We don't know, you know, exactly where they came from, but we know that okay, well, they were in, you know, X Y Z shelters. We know they're going to have these these exact issues, and you know, it's sure enough, they have, you know, they they fight with each other because they've been stuck in such close quarters with each other all of the time. So it's been a long road to try to build better behaviors and you know get them the treatment that they need in terms of like health issues or whatever but i mean it's just it's like the same care you would take with a new a child you would adopt it's kind of the same Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know (laughs) what do you feel like um you know working with all of these shelters and you know disrupting status quo and saying you know we all need to come together we need to work together what have you found to be the most amazing experience that you've seen as you've been collaborating and bringing forces together you know, from shelter, different shelters all over New York City. And I, I assume it's it's kind of all over the general vicinity, right? It's, well, most of the, the Mayor's Alliance uh, participating organizations are in, in the fi- within the five boroughs. Some fall without, right, okay. without that, mm-hmm. without that area. Um, but uh, as far as the most, what, the most amazing thing, it's the, there's no, there can't be any one, one thing. I think one <laughs> of the things, when I, when I get a visual um, and it still kind of chokes me up after all these years, um, when we, we do, uh, and we have done since the beginning, mega adoption events where we invite you know anywhere from 20 to 40 groups to bring their animals uh, to a, a park location where we set up tents and tables and all kinds of activities you know we work with wonderful sponsors uh, like the Petco Foundation um, who's a sponsor for our, our uh, Adopt-a-Palooza and it's become an, an a, a biannual event at least we we usually do two or three adoptapaloozas each year but we've done this since the beginning i mean the the mayor's alliance when uh, when it was in its forming stages when our president jane hoffman was actually making this dream become a reality um it's one of the first big things that they did was to, to do stage a, an adoption event in central park and based on that model we've continued to do these adoption events and it's it's amazing to walk into Union Square Park, you know, at one o'clock on a sa- uh, Sunday afternoon, um, and see, you know, forty groups with dogs, cats, uh, rabbits, you know, adoption vans, tents, cages with with the kitties in them, all of these animals from so many different rescue groups. Um, all with the common, you know, the one commonality, they're looking for new homes. And to see the people, you know, to see New Yorkers and visitors and whoever, you know, strolling through and falling in love. I mean, that is just astounding. (laughs) That makes it all worth it just to see that. I'm (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, it's so sweet. I, I do. I love it. And it is, it's love. It's just pure love. These animals, um, I, I could totally get teary eyed just right now thinking about it. <laughs> mm. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. We could just sit here and kind of <laughs> in silence for a second. Okay. All right. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's you know it's 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 interesting you know when something really strikes that chord inside of you and man there is something about animals and just and being able to save lives and you know from from i guess when uh the whole organization was was uh created um what did what did you see that was being done or what did you uh you know kind of as you moved into the role and um took your spot see that was happening that really needed to be changed was it um you know some some key things in general but beyond you know the shelters just kind of not communicating and um was it that there's a, a good number of animals that you know were being taken in and or being euthanized that maybe didn't have to um, what, what were some learnings there? Well, I think that, you know, the, probably the biggest thing is when, when I first came to the Alliance and it was always already, you know, underway, we were, um, at that point awaiting, um, the, uh, approval of the Maddie's fund grants that would, um, that we did, did get and that funded us for the our first seven years. Um, it was a, a time time-limited grant for seven years, and, and uh, we were awaiting our first installment the first year in 2005. But at that point in time, um, actually, in two, I believe it was 2003, um, the number of animals being euthanized was, uh, was quite large. You had uh, an intake at, at uh, what was then um, the Center for Animal Care and Control, which has subsequently changed its name to Animal mm-hmm. Care Centers, um, but you had, you know, uh, in, uh, in, uh, there were more than thirty-five thousand animals coming in each year, and oh. basically one out of four got out alive, and that was um, not acceptable. And this was certainly the, the I think, the driving force behind Jane and and the the people she worked with uh, on the Animal Law Committee who actually started this organization um, by approaching the new new mayor. Mayor Bloomberg had just recently been um, installed as mayor and um, they approached the, the, the City Hall with a, of, with solutions for saving lives for working with with ACC and all uh, um, and but I think to, I do digress to get back to it it was the number of animals that were being killed simply because there was no place to put them they weren't being able to they couldn't get out of the shelter quick enough um, there, there weren't enough you know there weren't the adoption venues and all for people to um, to adopt and at that time many people were reluctant to go to ACC um, as oftentimes is the case in communities where the municipal shelter which is open admissions you know people can find that some many people find that just too heartbreaking they don't want to go in and see animals and have to select one and know that some that they're leaving behind will be euthanized um so you know the the whole the the main objective was to reduce the euthanasia of these animals and eventually to um you know create what we we termed a no-kill city i shy away from that 
description today because no kill means different things to different people. But um, you know, jump ahead to today where through through the programs that that we've uh, the Mayor's Alliance has provided and through the the hard work and dedication of the the numerous rescue groups and shelters and animal care centers themselves, um, we now have a live release rate of over 90%, which uh-huh. is, to me, huge. I mean, I think to most people, that's huge. That's, uh, I mean, to some people, they say, okay, you've, you've achieved no kill, so you're at 90%. Um, there are still lives to be saved, and uh, so the work, work continues. And also just to sustain that progress um, is is really the challenge today? But talking about at the time, what was the the, the big the big motivator? It's that too many animals who shouldn't who shouldn't need to die were dying. Right. Wow. That's talk about disruption. That's amazing. Cheers to the whole organization. I mean, that's huge. And like you said, there is that <laughs> that ten percent. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> But that is that is astounding, and that that movement in that direction is just, um, it's it's amazing. So, you know, thank God for this program because that's um, what a difference, what a difference it's making in, well, it's animals' lives, but it's also the human lives that touch those animals' lives. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think that's actually an important point, Natalie, that this isn't, you know, people look at it as an animal issue. It's a human issue. Yes. Um, And whether you're talking about animals dying in shelters, not being, not having the opportunity to find a loving home where the humans would really enjoy having them there. But, you know, you look at specific uh, or other examples um, for example, in, when uh, dealing with emergency situations, you know, people in crisis um, having to give up their animals because they can't afford them or they, they're in yeah. the hospital or someone dies or the, the other uh, uh, component, which the Mayor's Alliance is, is a part of too, working with the Animal Planning Task Force with uh, New York City's emergency management, where the goal is to do everything possible to keep animals with their people so they don't end up in shelters so they don't end up you know um it's 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 not it's a human issue it's a human and animal issue but i think and i think as more and more people recognize that and i think that one of the defining moments uh was during uh hurricane katrina when we watched on the news you know people being separated from their pets having to get on a bus and leave little fluffy no. just on his own and that was not acceptable um, and and I think uh, the people and and also you know governments you know state cities and all just began to uh, um, enact legislation um, and I think even from the federal level you know that that plans needed to be put in place to avoid this happening in the future and, and here in New York I'm I'm very proud to be a part of that that effort with uh, with New York City's emergency management. Yeah, actually, it's interesting you mentioned that because um, one thing we know about our two little pups is um, they were they were in a shelter in Red Hook, I believe, that actually flooded uh, mm-hmm. during Hurricane Sandy, and um, because of the communication between the shelters, um, this was like four years ago uh, or so. So, well, I guess you know during that time, but when we adopted them. So um, 
you know, it was because of that communication that they were be able to, all of those animals were saved and taken to the ASPCA. Uh-huh. So, so yes, that's, that's the work in action. <laughs> right, right. And another piece I'll just interject because it's also something very close to my heart is uh, um, we, uh, the Mayor's Alliance for a number of years, we had a program um, which is, uh, it was a pilot program that actually yielded some really, really good results in terms of working with uh, people, victims of domestic violence um, and find, opening the doors to, to new resources for people who were fleeing, families who were fleeing uh, those situations to be able to take their pet. And oh, wow. um, th- that partnership actually resulted in uh, our working with, uh, with URI. Um, a, a fine organization here in New York, where that now has uh, has opened. I believe at this point it's three with plans for more uh, domestic violence shelters where that are pet friendly that allow uh, pets. Um, and again, this is it, 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 to me this is huge. Um, I'm sure to many people it's huge um, because it's it, again it's the it's the human issue. These families with their pets and and in those situations. Um, oftentimes the, uh, you know, the family pet is what the, the kids are, you know, they're so attached to their family's been being pulled apart. Don't take their pet away. Um, yes. and, and, um, that we're now addressing it. It needs much, much more, more needs to be done. But, um, this, there are those URI, for example, who, who is really, really made great strides with that. Wow. That is, that is huge. And that is so important. I mean, that's like their lifeline. It's that love lifeline almost. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, that is that is really huge. Um, what are, how, I mean, do you guys, um, and I'm just, you know, make sure we inform the community, um, the Disrupt Now community, that is to help disrupt more. Um, do you guys take donations or how do people volunteer with you? How does that all work and what are some good places? And, and of course, we'll link to the site and everything so people can garner more information. But um, what are some cool things that people can do to get involved? Well, I think you, you mentioned donations. You know, we are a private nonprofit, and we receive no government funding. So, yes, we do accept donations, <laughs> uh, and we, we rely we rely upon them for our existence to fund our programs. So that's a, a huge way people can help. And I, I'll say right now, thank you to all the wonderful people who do donate, uh, both to us and to other other uh, rescue organizations, because without that funding, the, the work can't be done. Um, I, and for some people, I, I think I think each person needs to find what they want to do. I mean, whether they look at their comfort level or if they want to look to push themselves a little bit. Um, you know, donating, writing a check is wonderful and needed. Um, there are others who want to work directly with animals. And so, you know, volunteering, uh, volunteers are the lifeblood of, of animal rescue. Um, some of the groups are all volunteer. Um, the Mayor's Alliance, um, you know, we have a very small staff, but we have a, a huge core of volunteers who um, do everything from, um, you know, doing some of our design work, uh, fostering, um, when we did have a foster program, we, we at this point no longer are keeping animals in our care. Um, 
because the groups are, you know, they are able to do that very well themselves. Um, but volunteering at events, you know, these the big events I talk about. Um, e each time we do one, we amass a, a, a huge core of volunteers. But you know, seventy to eighty volunteers who come in and help set up and help help orchestrate the event and you know break down at the end. It's, and and volunteers who promote the events, you know, through their social media or other channels they might have. So volunteering is certainly a, a huge thing. Um, then you know, moving on up you know, to uh, adopting, you know that is, yeah. that's, you know that's a, it's it's a no brainer in a way. Well, how can I help adopt a dog or foster <laughs> a dog or cat or or rabbit? You know, uh, if if you aren't prepared to make the lifetime commitment, you can you know maybe want to make a short term commitment. And some of these fosters do turn into permanent adoptions, which is not, not surprising. Um, they're, right. called, they're called failed fosters, which some people look as a derogatory term. I think it's a, you know, Positive. It's, that's an angel. So, uh, right. you know, yeah. but we, you do need, we do need, you know, we, the, the foster people who will take an animal for a short period of time, get them acclimated to a home, you know, maybe help with training issues or just get them ready for adoption and then adopt them out and then bring another foster uh, animal in. This is, and I'll say this, this is on a personal note because I'm considering, considering doing it now. Um, I recently lost my uh, my beagle Roy, and I was I'm not ready to adopt again. I don't think, um, but I am ready to foster, and it's it's the kind of thing I want to do something. I don't I'm not ready to make that emotional commitment and have my heart ripped out right away. But <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but uh, I mean that's a it's, it's a huge thing you can do, and, and people can most rescue groups whether they're a shelter or you know, a, 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 with a brick and mortar shelter or a, a, a volunteer uh, oriented rescue group, they rely on fosters to keep their animals, you know, so they don't have to yeah. keep them in boarding facilities or, you know, and the more fosters they have, the more animals they can take. And, um, you know, an example is a group that, that is a, a New Hope partner with animal care centers and they pull, you know, animals, cats, dogs, rabbits from, from the shelter um, and they put them in their foster home. So the more foster homes they have, the more animals they can save. So that's right. certainly huge. Well, I'm so sorry for your loss. It rips my heart out to hear that too. But I, oh, it's, it's something we, I think it's something we accept. And, uh, you know, when you adopt, you know, unfortunately, our, our critters' lifespans are way too short. Either that or ours are way too long. I'm not sure which, but. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard. And, you know, that, that's a really good idea about the fostering because we were kind of in the same place a short few years ago when, when, uh, our little Maxine died um, way too soon. Same story, you know, and fostering is great because it also kind of helps the animals get acclimated a little more mm -hmm. to homes, you know, that have been in shelters. So that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. So before we leave, I wanted to just ask you, because, you know, this podcast is all clearly about, you know, helping people learn and educate about people disrupting organizations like, you know, yours. And um, what is what is a what is there something you want to leave with our community and in regard to disruption and, 
you know, how you can take that into kind of your hand and forge forward? <laughs> well, I, I think, um, you know, d- disruption, which I see is, is uh, disrupting the status quo, is for anyone, if you look at a situation, well, let's just look at, at, the, at, at the world of animals. You know, if someone is, is interested in doing something, uh, whether it's within their comfort level or pushing themselves, and I think both are, are you know, both are valid. Um, but there are there's areas that they can look to 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 do that. An example would be, um, and this is a, actually maybe a good example because it, we hear this a lot. You know, people walk around New York, and sometimes they see cats out you know uh, uh, stray cats they see a cat in the alley they see a colony of cats in a in a vacant lot whatever and it's like oh wow i feel so bad for them you know what 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 can i do for them um, there are things you can do, you know, and this is goes to one of our programs, our New York City Feral Cat Initiative, um, which uh, is promotes trap, neuter, return for, for animal for for cats, and um, means trapping them, having them spayed or neutered, and vaccinated and left ear tipped, and then return to their colony where there um, is a, a, a volunteer or volunteers who feed them daily who monitor their health, who, you know, uh, if any kittens are born, um, like like if a new cat comes in that's not neutered and and any new kittens are born, you know, pulling the kittens out because they can be socialized uh, fairly easily and and Mm -hmm. found homes for. But to to do this work, there are thousands of people in New York who do this. Um, They're invisible to many, many people. And part of that's good because the, the the invisibility allows them to do their work without being um, interrupted by people who really don't un, don't get it why they're doing it. Um, but you know, someone anyone who's interested in that issue, they can um, you know take our TNR certification training, which is um, the schedules and descriptions and all are on our website. Um, where it's 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 I'm not saying it's easy. But it's a simple process. You go, you get trained. Then, by once you're certified, you have the re, we we provide resources um, and the ASPCA with their uh, spay neuter uh, for for feral cats, uh, which we call community cats because they're both feral uh, and and stray cats who are friendly. Um, right. And they and. and Take on a colony. If you see a colony that needs, if you need see cats that need some help, rather than picking up the phone and calling someone and saying help, um, making the decision, I can be the helper here. I can do this, and then pick up the phone and call us and find out how they, you can be trained to to do this and what what support we can give you to do that, and um, and then you can be the hero yourself. Um, right. And there, again, I say there are thousands of people in New York who are doing this. I think there are about a network of around 9,000 um, caretakers um, throughout the city. That is awesome. <laughs> so basically, we all have the capacity to disrupt. It's just making that change happen. Right. That's it. That's it. And I think if I'm, is there time for me to make, just wake one more? Yes, of course. Because um, one of the things that I haven't talked about, and it was actually 
um, it was really one of the first programs that we instated at the Alliance, and um, it's a it's kind of a background program because it do, it doesn't involve the public. Uh, it's our Wheels of Hope transport, where we have um, at this point we have five uh, transport vans that are uh, retrofitted to to carry animals, and we use these to physically move animals out of the the shelter and transport them to other rescue groups or shelters um, where they'll have more time or to, to vets offices, to foster homes and so forth. And um, it's, it's probably the program that has had the greatest impact on the number of lives saved in, in New York over the past uh, you know, d d uh, dozen years. Um, I mean, we say we've saved uh, over 300,000 animals through these programs. Wow. Uh, but the Wheels of Hope, it's, it's an internal program. You know, we manage it. We have our, our own drivers, our, our own vans, and we pay for the maintenance and the, and the drivers and, and everything around that. It's not cheap. Um, but the, the, the people who support that program with their financial uh, gifts are, are also true heroes because they're allowing us to continue that, that really vibrant uh, activity that's having a huge impact. So by supporting that, you're, you're really you're paying for animals to be pulled out of the shelter, which is huge. It is. It is. And that allows them to be taken to the right spots, basically. Right, right. For the flow, yeah. Well, that is an amazing program, too. And we'll definitely link to all of these, um, you know, to the site, to your social channels and everything, so people can connect. Because I think putting the power in people's hands, like you mentioned, is is exactly, you know, the change that a lot of people do want to be. It's just sometimes configuring and figure, researching and figuring out the, the right paths and where to find that ability sometimes takes an effort. But mm -hmm. we'll just put it all in one place on the Disrupt Now uh, program site that, <laughs> and our Tim Goose site. <laughs> that sounds fine. And you can give them my phone number because I love to talk to people about this. I love to help people. Because it, it, I, I, just looking at my journey and and the people who moved me along, um, right? I think it's it's. I love talking to people about it because we all have the power to do it. Yes, yes, that is it. That that's why you know I knew we just had to get you on this podcast, and Paulina was so right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I feel honored and uh, and privileged to uh, to have been uh, you know asked to to do this, and I'm happy oh, I was able to do it of course steve thank you and thank you to you know everyone on the the organization's team and all you know ev everyone that's involved in animal welfare welfare in new york city and wrapped around this ethos thank you huge thank you <laughs> i agree <laughs> thank you steve all right thank you natalie Thank you so much for being a guest and thank you to the Disrupt Now podcast community. To connect with today's guest and every other guest that we have on our show, there are two places that we keep not only all of the episodes, but the information and bio of each of our amazing guests and their contact information. The DisruptNowProgram.com site has all of the podcast link as well as TeamGoo.com forward slash episodes. Thank you so much for joining us today and we'll see you again on the Disrupt Now podcast.